If you have a copy of God's Word, please join me in Romans chapter 5, the book of Romans in the fifth chapter. We had a, a couple of weeks in between the end of one sermon series before we start 1 Timothy, and I was praying about what to share with you today, and, and the Lord has been laying this passage on my mind for some time. This is a weighty passage because it deals with suffering. Anybody who has walked here upon earth for more than a few moments has been through suffering. Some of you have walked through very, very deep valleys. Some of you have known depths of suffering that you, you can't even put into words without weeping and sobbing. The scriptures do not ignore the sufferings of God's people. God's word explains and talks about these things in very candid terms. And I came across the Apostle Paul's words once again recently, and I'd like us to read them together. Romans chapter 5, we'll begin at verse 1. He says, Therefore, we have been, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In mid-March of 1953, at the age of 28, Helen Rosevere arrived as a missionary doctor in the northeastern region of the Congo, later known as Zaire. In the first two years, she founded a training school for nurses, training women to serve as nurse evangelists who in turn would run clinics and dispensaries in different regions. In October of 1955, she was transferred seven miles away to run an abandoned maternity and leprosy center in Nebobongo, working with local Africans. Helen helped to transform the center into a hospital with 100 beds serving mothers, lepers, children, along with a training school for paramedics in 48 rural clinics. Outside these facilities, there was no other medical help for 150 miles in any direction. The Congo became independent from Belgium in 1960, and a vicious civil war broke out in 1964. All the medical facilities they had established were destroyed. Helen was encouraged to leave the country, flee for her safety, but felt compelled by God to stay with the people that she had come to love and serve alongside. 
Along with several other Protestant missionaries, Helen was taken captive by rebel forces and remained a prisoner for five months. Here's how Helen describes the night the rebel soldiers attacked. Government soldiers came into my bungalow, ransacked it, and then grabbed me. I was beaten and savagely kicked, losing my back teeth through the boot of a rebel soldier. They broke my glasses so I could not see to protect myself from the next blow. Then one at a time, two army officers took me into my own bedroom and raped me. They dragged me out into a clearing and tied me to a tree and stood around laughing. And while I was there, beaten and humiliated and violated and ridiculed, someone discovered in the bungalow the only existing handwritten manuscript of a book I'd been writing about God's work in the Congo over the last 11 years. They brought it out, put it on the ground in front of me, and burned it, laughing all the while. She later recounted, On that dreadful night, beaten and bruised, terrified and tormented, unutterably alone, I had felt at last God had failed me. Surely he could have stepped in earlier. Surely things need not have gone that far. I had reached what seemed to be the ultimate depth of despairing nothingness. How does a follower of Jesus Christ process that level of suffering and evil? Jesus promised that in this world we would have trouble. And and for most of us, it comes on a huge spectrum For some, it it may be a rough day, disobedient children. It may be the loss of a job, an inoperable tumor, medical bills that pile up, an unwanted divorce. As a follower of Jesus Christ, How are we supposed to think about these things? The Word of God is not silent when it comes to our sufferings. And the Apostle Paul, who knew great suffering, speaks to us in Romans chapter 5. And he makes an incredible statement. If you're taking notes, that's the first thought here, is that he makes an incredible statement. He calls us to rejoice in our sufferings. Did you hear verse 3? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Hear his words. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, not despite our sufferings. The Greek preposition is very clear. This word translated rejoice can also be glory. It's the idea of boasting, priding oneself in something, bragging. It's what you, it's, it's what you see in, a, in maybe an unholy form when you turn on ESPN and you hear interviews with athletes about their accomplishments. They're priding themselves in. They're glorying in what they have done on the field. This word is 
It communicates a high degree of confidence in someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy. Paul is saying, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should boast, should glory, should rejoice in our sufferings. The word for sufferings is a general term that talks about distress or oppression or affliction. The underlying meaning uh, is, is uh, of, of being under pressure. This word was used of squeezing olives to extract the oil or squeezing grapes to extract the juice from them. Paul says we rejoice in our pressures, our troubles. When you read something like this, I don't know about you, but my first thought is certainly there's a misprint. Certainly there's a, a, a poor translation from the Greek Seriously, Paul, and it's not even a command. Notice he just makes this statement. We rejoice in our sufferings. It's like we should all know about it. Like we, we remember our name or our date of birth. For some of us, Hunter, it goes way back, that date of birth. It's like common knowledge. Oh yeah, by the way, we rejoice in our sufferings, don't we? And we all stare back at Paul blankly, thinking, well, what are you talking about? Who does Paul think he is? Rejoice in the things that are difficult? In my pain, my hardships? When I face rejection? When I'm ridiculed for my faith? When I'm hurting? We can't chalk chalk this off to a one-off mention in Scripture or relegate it to a first century cultural issue or a vague reference from Paul. We find it elsewhere in the New Testament. I've got a couple of verses up here. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed James tells us in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What happens when we bring these passages together is that we realize God is not simply telling us to rejoice when we're being assaulted for our faith. But the command is to consider all types of suffering as the sovereign work of a loving potter who is shaping us into the image of his beloved son. Whether it's financial hardship, an unwanted divorce, a cancer diagnosis, a sick child, depression, a devastating natural disaster, or a thousand other trials, Paul says, I want you to rejoice in your afflictions. What a command, what a a call to followers of Christ to rejoice in the things that are hard. No godly saint has ever said the really deep lessons of life came from times of ease and comfort. But you will hear godly men and women, one after another, testify that the greatest intimacy with God and depths of His love they've ever experienced came through times of suffering. We must remember that Christian perseverance in the midst of trials is not a fake smile painted across our face. 
It's not pretending like that 60s song that life is sunshine and lollipops and rainbows. It is a confident rest that God is at work even in the midst of the most awful circumstances. We must also be careful to note that this is not a case of grinning and bearing it. It's not about just being a tough guy or tough gal, getting with the program. It's not about ignoring reality, sticking our head in the sand and saying, what cancer? I don't know about no cancer. Unpaid bills, lost my job, no problem. But in these moments, God enters with us deeply into our sufferings. And as emotional beings, he doesn't expect us to stare headlong into these hardships like some stalwart robot. If you've read the scriptures, you know that David and many others have cried out to God in the midst of their suffering. They've said things like, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of our enemy? Even in Psalm 44, David, you can almost hear him shouting this into the heavens. He says, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? My guess is that every Christian in this room has felt that at one time or another. If not, you will. You will, like Helen Rosevere, say, have you forgotten me, God? Have you left me alone in the midst of my suffering? How could you let this happen? And then to have the audacity to say, not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings? How do we do that? I wrote down the chain that Paul explains here. The the reason that we glory in our tribulation. The reasons that we rejoice in our sufferings. He tells us the first one in verse 3. We know that suffering produces endurance. Here's the first reason that we can rejoice in our trials, in our sufferings, in our pain, Because Paul says, those things produce endurance. The word endurance in the Greek is the ability to continue working in the face of strong opposition and great obstacles. It's a a steadfastness. It's a patient endurance. It's the ability to keep on even though every force is against you. It is a spiritual fortitude that is only gained through suffering. If you decide tomorrow that you want to go run a marathon, but you have not run in years, you know that you're not going to be able to run those 26.2 miles when you wake up in the morning. What must you do? You must begin to train. You start off in in little chunks. Instead of walking to the fridge, you run to the fridge. And and maybe you run out to the mailbox. Little by little, you build up. You you work out that, 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 you begin to build up that, that stamina, that endurance 
that doesn't come overnight. Paul is saying the same thing is true when it comes to suffering. Suffering as believers, we can't just immediately jump to having the quality of endurance. Suffering is what builds that in the Christian's life. Day by day, as we endure trials, whether they be the small everyday variety or the huge earth-shattering ones, as we rely on our Savior to be at work in our hearts and lives, he says, you build endurance. Samuel Rutherford said once that God had put him in the cellars of affliction. And he says, but that's where the great king keeps his best wine, not in the courtyard where the sun shines. Charles Spurgeon said that those who dive deep into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. The simple truth is to be the kind of man or woman that God wants you to be means walking down into the cellar of affliction or diving down into that sea. And in the midst of your suffering, God may never explain or give answers to the questions about your specific circumstances, about what you're going through. Helen Rosevere later stated in a letter to Alistair Begg, the phrase God gave me years ago during that rebellion in the Congo, in the night of my own greatest need was this, can you thank me? for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? She later on wrote this, through that brutal, heartbreaking experience, God met with me with outstretched arms of love, it was an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete. And suddenly I knew, I really knew that his love was unutterably sufficient. He did love me. He did understand. Suffering produces endurance. But secondly, suffering not only produces endurance, but in then endurance produces character. Verse 4 takes the next step. And it says endurance produces character. This is the process of enduring something so that it validates and, and tests the character of the one who undergoes the process. We know this isn't automatic. That in the midst of suffering, character again is not just automatically there. Suffering does not magically make us better people. There's a chance if we don't respond to it the right way that it can actually have the opposite effect. It can harden us. It can embitter us. But those who are willing to bow to God's chastening hand will emerge closer to their Father with stronger virtues and a deeper faith. There is something supernatural and spiritually formative going on here that is being directed by the sovereign and loving hand of God. John Rippon wrote in his 
well-known hymn, How Firm a Foundation, these words. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Are you allowing God to refine you today? In the midst of whatever you might be walking through, are you letting that shape you into the character of Christ? Are you digging your heels in and still shaking your fist at God, saying, this is not fair. If you loved me, this would not happen. Are you, are you getting bitter or are you getting more Christ-like? God's design in the midst of whatever you're facing is to consume that dross so that he might bring you forth as pure gold. Thomas Schmidt tells a story of an old woman he met in a nursing home. Blind and almost deaf, Mabel was 89 years old. She had lived in that nursing home for 25 years and now sat strapped in a wheelchair. Schmidt handed Mabel a flower and said, Happy Mother's Day. She tried to smell it. Thank you, she said. Her words garbled. It's lovely, but since I'm blind, can I give it to someone else? He wheeled her to another resident. She held out the flower and said, Here, this is from Jesus. Not only did Mabel deal with blindness, but cancer had eaten away much of her face and disfigured her where she could barely speak and constantly drooled. Schmidt was taken aback at her love for Christ. He asked her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie in your room? She said, I think about my Jesus. What do you think about Jesus, he asked. As she spoke, slowly and deliberately, he wrote down her words. I think how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good. I'm one of those kind who is mostly satisfied. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then quietly, she began to sing the words of that song. Jesus, he's all the world to me. Thinking of this woman, bedridden, Blind, nearly deaf, cancer eating her for 25 years, Schmidt said, seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without any human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she laid there and she sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer is simple and it's not. Jesus. As Mabel suffered, her endurance had produced character. And it was because of her trust and rest in Jesus that this was possible. And finally, in the chain, Paul says, and then character produces hope. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. In verse 2, Paul had said, we rejoice in the hope 
of the glory of God. And now he's saying that this suffering goes to endurance, endurance to character, and character then leads to hope. One writer says that our our hope is increased and strengthened by our Heavenly Father through the process of tribulation, through perseverance, through proven character, and the end byproduct of which is hope that does not disappoint. The more a believer pursues holiness, the more he is persecuted and troubled, and the greater will be his hope as he is sustained through it all by God's powerful grace. Notice how hope is down the line. You don't get endurance without suffering. You don't get character without endurance. And you don't get that deep hope and rest in God without character. The trials, the heartaches, the tribulations, the sufferings that God permits in our life have purpose. And they are for the purpose of conforming us to the image of God. So that we can, like Paul writes here, actually rejoice in the midst of those things. Helen Rosevier went home to be with the Lord on December 7th, 2016. She'd had a long ministry in the Congo. She eventually had returned after the unrest settled down. First of all, she had been rescued by some villagers, left the country, came back, continued to minister, to reach people, to do medical work, reestablished hospitals that had been destroyed. And in the early 70s, because of some ongoing health issues, she returned back to the United Kingdom. Not long before she died, Alistair Begg, an Irish or Scottish pastor, who pastors here in the U.S., had a chance to visit her as he was back on the other side of the Atlantic. Rented a car in, the mid, in between speaking engagements and drove to the nursing home where a 90-year-old Helen Rosevere lived. By this point in her life, she was paralyzed on her left side. She couldn't, couldn't really speak. She sat in a wheelchair, had an attendant that took care of her throughout the day. And because Alistair wouldn't be able to have a conversation with her, he just sat down and began to read Scripture to her, took her hand and prayed with Helen. He felt her squeeze his hand as he prayed. The time of his visit had ended and he was preparing to depart and the attendant, her her nurse, said, Helen, you have a blessing for Alistair that you would like to share with him before he leaves. And she was silent. Come on, Helen, you've got to have something that you'd like to share with him. As Alistair Begg sat by her wheelchair, he saw her turn her head slowly toward him, and it looked like she wanted to to speak, was trying to get some words out. And so he, he leaned in, And she whispered these words, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. A woman who had suffered tremendously for the sake of the gospel had went through unimaginable torture and hardship. 
knew that the key to enduring suffering was to continue to press on in faith, knowing that her Savior and Master was making her more and more like Christ. I don't know what your, what your trials are right now. Some of you I do. Many of you are, are suffering in silence. Many of you don't have people you feel like you can share them with. Some of you, you're battling sin. Some of you, it's health issues or financial issues, relationship issues. Maybe it's persecution for your faith. God tells you this morning that you and I, we can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that those sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And verse 5 reminds us that this hope is not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Are you walking through suffering? Know this morning that you can have the rock-solid assurance that God is at work. Trust Him and rejoice in your suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these things that we've talked about this morning are, are, are heavy things. But we, we dare not assume that, or pretend that, that everybody's life is, is rosy and problem-free. Lord, we, we need to be reminded that you love us in the midst of whatever we're suffering. And you love us enough to allow us to go through these things so that we can share, as your word says, in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings so that we might become more and more like him. Lord, would you give us the eyes of faith to see how to do that? Would you give us a deep-seated trust in your sovereign power to work through our trials and our times of difficulty? Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who's with us in the midst of our trials. Lord, would we have a rock-solid assurance of that truth this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.